0: Series titled The Seven. As we take a look at Revelations, chapters one, two, and three, and the seven churches of Revelation, it's amazing the way it opens up in chapter one as we see the Apostle John, one of the last surviving apostles, as Christianity is moving forward. He's now exiled to the island of Patmos, and it's there that he has this vision, this revelation from god and he begins to write it down he falls at the fight feet of jesus and he has this amazing encounter we are going to take a look at the first seven churches are you ready let's get into it well this morning uh we're going to welcome up pastor Rodriguez. he's going to share the word with us this morning would you help me welcome him in our third church in the book of revelation all right amen god bless you church I'm excited to be here with you guys this morning. Pastor Jack, you look good. One hour extra of sleep. Amen. Yes, it did good to all of us. We all look good. God knew that I needed it this morning, and so um, I'm, I'm ready. I'm excited, and I'm thrilled to what God is going to speak to us this morning. So we're going to take a journey into the life and into the church of Pergamum. And so we're going to see the good, the bad, and the ugly. And there was a lot of it. There was a lot of good, there was a lot of bad, and there was a lot of ugly. And so this morning, we're going to take a journey, and we're going to go. Are you guys enjoying the seven series? It's been amazing. We're seeing, we're learning, we're, we're studying, and we're going to see what this word this morning tells us. And so we've, we've been studying the seven letters to the seven churches to the seven cities in the book of Revelations. And so there's a lot that we can learn from them. There's a lot that we can put to practice in the times that we're living right now. And Jesus spoke a message to uh, the the seven churches that were located in modern-day Turkey. And these letters were relevant to their day, but they're also prophetic for us now in the time that we're living. And so it is more likely that we will face the same temptations, the same tribulations, the same pressures... The same persecutions that they did. And so, but let's stay strong. Let's be firm. And let's make a commitment that we will not compromise like the church of Pergamum did. Amen? And we're going to see God bless us. We're going to see God do great things. We're going to see God move in a mighty way. But before we jump into the message, let's pray. Let's ask God to Prepare us, prepare our hearts, prepare our minds to receive his word. Father God, we come before you, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you for that extra hour of sleep that we got. I pray, Lord, that you prepare our hearts to what you have for us, Lord Jesus. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come and to minister to us and to speak to us. Father God, and that you open our understanding of what you're speaking to the church today. Father God, let us learn what you are doing. Let us hear what you are saying. Prepare us in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. So let's recap really quick where we've been. Uh, The first church was to the church of Ephesus. And it was uh, the Spirit of the Lord telling that church that they've lost their first love. So to repent and to go back to their first love. They were too busy with the work of the church. And they, they knew the word. They knew the law. But they had lost their first love. The second church was to the church of Smyrna. And the Lord had no reproach to them. Because they were a faithful church. And he encouraged them to be faithful. And to persevere until the end. Even to the point of death. So now we're going to look at the church in Pergamum. Uh, the church in Pergamum was located 100 miles from Ephesus. And it was 15 miles inward uh, from, this, from the Aegean Sea. And it was surrounded by many other churches in the, now, in the um, nation of uh, present-day Turkey. It was one of the greatest cities in the world, in the ancient world. It was beautiful. It had so much life in it. And there were so many places to visit. As we can see on the next picture, there's a, uh, the city. This is how it, it was. This is maybe how it looked. The temples and the altars. I mean, there was so much going on day and night. There was a lot of worship that was taking place in this city to the pagan gods. There was so much The the city of Pergamon was the capital of Asia. And it had been the capital for 250 years, since 133 before Christ. It was a place where politics and religion was at its best. And let's see what Jesus tells this church. Let's read the passage this morning. Revelations 2 it says to the angel of the church in Pergamon write these are the words of him who has the sharp double edged sword I know where you live where Satan has his throne yet you remain true to my name you did not in, you did not renounce your faith in me not even in the days of Antipas my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have this, uh, those who hold to the teachings of the Nicolaitans. He says, repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the word of God says to the churches. The one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Amen. There's so much in this passage that it will take hours if we were to study everything that was in, that, in there. But we're just going to break it down and we're going to see what the Lord is speaking to us this morning and what we need to avoid to receive judgment from God. And so let's imagine we are in the first century and we are the first century followers of Christ Let's imagine that we are there and we live in the most famous city of all Asia. And isn't that cool? There's so much going on. There's so much life going on in this city. It was a powerful city. And it was like present day Washington, D.C. And But let's see how um, Jesus introduces himself to this city, to this church. It's funny how uh, he introduces himself to all of the seven churches. He uses one or two of the attributes that he says from Revelations 1. And he specifically points and uses one or two to each of the churches. And he knows exactly what they needed to hear and exactly what they were going to understand. He describes himself as the one who has a sharp, double-edged sword. Imagine you receive a letter from somebody and it says, Hey, I am the one that's writing to you, the one that has a double-edged sword in my mouth. That might be a little intimidating, right? And he used that image because the Roman imperial power in Pergamon was the Roman sword. And up to now, all the other swords was a single-edged sword. And now, in the Roman Empire, they made the double-edged sword come to life, and they were using it. And it was a symbol of the presence and power of Caesar and his authority, and of his claim on all peoples, that he had the power of life and death over all those under his jurisdiction. But we see in this letter, Jesus introducing himself as the one who has the double-edged sword. And basically what he's telling us is that he has that authority. He has that power over us to judge and to, um, to, um, to bring into judgment. Over Caesar, over the Roman Empire, he is the double-edged sword. And we know from the book from the Bible, that Jesus is the double-edged sword. The Bible is the double-edged sword. We see in Hebrews 4.12, it says, The Word of God is alive and active, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And so the Word of God brings judgment, especially when we're not living right, especially when we know what, that we should be doing something and we're not, especially when we're compromising in our faith, when we're compromising in our walk, the Lord speaks to us. He speaks to us in many ways, but he brings judgment and conviction for us to change, for us to repent. And so we know also that Jesus is going to judge the nation's, when he returns, we see in Revelations 19:11, he says, "I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. He's, and then coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations." Jesus, when he came the first time to the earth, he came as a humble servant. He came as a lamb heading to the slaughter. But when he returns, he's going to come as a conquering king. He's going to come as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's going to come and he's going to judge the churches. He's going to judge the nations with his word that's going to be coming out of his mouth. And he's going to come. And he's going to bring judgment to the nations. Amen. Powerful. Here in in verse 13, Jesus tells the church, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, but yet you remain faithful to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. So there were a lot of people in that church that were holding true to Jesus. They were holding true to the values that Jesus had left them. But there were some of them that were not. And so later on we see what happens because uh, they were surrounded by this culture that was portraying so much stuff before them. They were Bombarding them daily with religious activities, with so much in their practices that they were starting to blend in. They were starting to compromise. They were starting to live like they did. They were starting to blend in like the world. And so, but He knows that Jesus knows where they live. Jesus sympathize, sympathize how do you say sim, sympathizes with them. And with us, he knows where we live. He knows our circumstances. He knows our story. He knows what we're dealing with. And he says it. I get it. And I know the unique challenges that you're facing. And I understand that. I know the pressures that you're facing. And so we need to come back to Jesus Even though we live in a place that we haven't seen much yet. But there might be a lot more coming our way. And so we need to make a commitment to stand firm in Jesus. But before we keep going, let's look more in details. Why Jesus calls this place Satan's throne. Pagan, uh, Pergamon might have been the worst of the seven cities in pagan worship. Because Pergamon had temples to many of the most prominent Greek gods. We have Zeus, we have Athena, we have Dionysus, Sclepius and many more. We're going to see some of the temples here, some of the altars that were built to these gods. If we can see the next slide. Um, So this was a temple of Zeus, the temple of Zeus, huge, massive. It it was about 117 feet wide and 117 feet deep and four stories high. It was a massive 24-7 altar for Zeus. People were coming from all over the world to worship him. And now, actually, part of this temple is... Found in Belgium. They took. They were able to dig it. And they took part of it. And this is what's in Belgium. From 1901. The next slide. We have the temple of Dionysus. And uh, we see here. Uh, how the temple. Uh, was just for pleasure. And for uh, festivities. And they came. And they, they were just to uh, come and, and do all these attributes and, and to this God and sacrifices with pleasure, and, 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 and they were dealing with a lot in their time. I'm sorry, this picture didn't come out right, but it was a place where they can come and, and, and see and, and, and be part of the festivities and the things that were going on in their city. The next slide. This was a temple of Aclepius. It was a god that brought healing to the people. People came all over the world to receive healing, and what who did the healing was the snakes that were there. There were the ones that actually um, crawled into people's bodies and brought healing to them. So this was the pagan worship ritual that they were receiving uh, from their gods, and it was just crazy how they. They did all this and they were brought um, all these sacrifices to them. Other temples, we have the temple of uh, um, um, Trojan. I mean, they were massive. There were so many temples to worship their gods. And there are so many places of worship in this city. And so that's why Jesus called the place of Satan's throne to affirm your allegiance to Caesar, the temple of imperial cult. And so Je- Jesus tells him, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. So it's like modern-day Vegas or something, where everything that happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. And But this was to the nth degree. <laughs> it was pretty bad. And so after Jesus affirms them for their perseverance, he points to them, what they're doing wrong, because we know that God is a jealous God. God hates idolatry and immorality. And so the Lord tells actually Moses in the book of Leviticus, he tells him, "You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live, and you must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where you are going. Do not allow the practices. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my law. So what happens is that in their way, in their time, they were going back and they were doing their old ways, their old practices. We also see here um, in, in the passage, in verse 14, how Jesus tells them, Nevertheless, I have this against you, he says. There are some of you who hold to the teachings of Balaam and taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin and that they ate food sacrificed to idols and commit sexual immorality. Likewise, you also hold to those who hold the teachings of Nicolaitans. There was so much going on, even in the church. There were so much uh, practices of the Nicolaitans and of the uh, of the uh, different practices that was going on. Because they were blending in with the culture. They were blending in with the things that were going on around the city. They were compromising with their faith. They were compromising with the teachings. They were compromising with their walk with God. So, but Jesus tells them to stop doing those things. Jesus corrects them to stand against the false teachings. And not to tolerate those teachings, not to tolerate sexual immorality, not to tolerate idolatry. We see uh, James, uh, how he rebukes believers for being uh, like the world. He says, "You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the word, with the world means enmity with God?" Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. James knew the people in the church were doing things like the world. And so he told them straight up, hey, if you're doing those things like the world does, you are an enemy of God. And so the Lord is going to bring judgment. So we need to ask ourselves, in what areas are we compromising in? in what areas in our walk are we blending in with the culture or with the world is it in the small choices that we make on our daily lives is it with the things that come out of our mouth maybe in our relationships are we going too far when we know that's wrong is it the music that we're listening just because everybody else is listening to that song and that's the jam of the of the day or the tv that we're watching the movies that we're seeing the tv shows i know there's some nudity there but it's not a big deal i know there's some cussing there i know there's some foul language it's not a big deal it's just a little bit it's just for entertainment Or it's just a scary movie. It's just a horror flick. And it's all fake. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't even scare me, people say. But Satan is behind all of that. Satan is brainwashing. He's even starting with our kids, with little kids' movies and TV shows. And he knows how to get us. He knows how to entice us. He's not going to come like a, Ugly beast, he's going to come with the little things, like a little bait here and there. He's going to come and he's going to draw us near more and more until we're enticed with the culture, until we're enticed with everything that's happening around us. And it's going to get worse and worse. It's going to get darker and darker. And we as a church, as a body, we need to stand firm. We need to stand strong in our beliefs in what we believe in Jesus, to not be able to do what they do and practice what they practice. So let's be careful what we watch. Let's be careful what we hear. Let's be careful what we do on our daily basis, on our daily walk with the Lord. Otherwise, we can lose the calling that Christ has for us as a body. And us, we are to reach our community. We are to reach our nation. We are to reach the lost. But if we're blending in with the world, if we're being the same as the world, then there's not much that they're going to want from us. They're going to say, hey, you guys are doing the same thing as us. So why? Why try this? But if we're showing God's power, if we're showing God's uh, blessings, to them if we're showing god miracles signs and wonders then they will want some of that so we need to be the light in the darkness we need to shine our light to them in the darkness jesus tells this church repent therefore otherwise i will come to you and i will fight against them with the sword of my mouth a little intimidating right he knew how to speak to them he knew how to draw their attention so jesus is calling us as well to repent because i know i know that there's so much that draws our attention to we might not be worshipping to the the idols that are here But we're worshiping our phones, we're worshiping TV, we're worshiping sports, we're worshiping everything that takes away our time from God. And we're blending more and more to the things of the world. We're blending more and more to what this world has to offer. So we need to repent to be able to do the calling that Christ has for us in our lives. Jesus doesn't want just a portion of you. He doesn't want a percentage of you. He doesn't want the majority of you. He wants every part of you. Not just a little bit, but every part of you. And so, He is a jealous God. He doesn't want to share us with the world. He He doesn't want us to be part of the world. Because if we Take a little bit. We want more. Can we get an amen? If we want a little bit of a piece of cake, and it's good, we're going to want more. Because that's how our flesh is. We want more. Our flesh is very deceiving. We struggle with it day and night. It's easy for us to follow because our flesh wants it. It craves it. But we are to be different We are to be going the other way as the culture is going. So we need to listen to the voice of Jesus. Look what it says in 17. It says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone, a new name written on it. Known only to the one who receives it. So we have three promises here for us. If we persevere, if we are victorious, what does it take to be victorious? You need to stay strong. You don't need to compromise with the things of the world. You need to stay firm when the enemy is throwing things at you. When the world is throwing things at you, you need to stay strong and firm To be able to receive the rewards that Jesus has for us. There's three promises. If we overcome, we have the manna, which is our future reward. Christ as the bread of heaven. Our provider. Our redeemer. Our protection. And so we will get that if we persevere. Another one is... The white stone. Back in the day, in, in their time, they received white stones that represented a reward. If they were playing um, like the gladiator games or if they were in the marathon, they would receive white stones as their reward. But in this case, it says that the white stone will receive a new name for us. And new name in the Bible is very significant. God changed several people's names when they did something, when they accomplished something. Uh, Abram, Jesus, or God changed his name to Abraham when he conquered or he went to the uh, new nation. Jacob was changed to Israel when he wrestled with God. Saul, the one who persecuted the church, his name was changed to Paul and became a very prominent figure in the New Testament. Jesus says, I'll give you a new name if you persevere, if you stand strong, if you remain faithful to my name. Again, he doesn't want part of us. He doesn't want a percentage of us or the majority of us. He wants all of us. Let's Stay firm in Christ. Let's hunger for righteousness. Let's hunger for holiness. When when culture is going one way, let's be bold enough to go the other way. Let's be bold enough to stand when everybody else is sitting. Let's be bold enough to speak truth when everybody else is remaining silent. That's what the church in Pergamon did. They remained silent. They didn't stand up for the things that they believed after a while. They remained silent and they began to do what the things of the world. Let us be strong and courageous enough to stand up when persecuted. So Mosaic Church, I want us to understand the effects of compromise. I want us to understand that there is a lot of things that are happening around us. We don't want to lose our connection with God. When we compromise, we start losing our connection with God. Then we start separating ourselves from God. And we don't want that, especially now. The times that we're living, we need to be the light in the darkness. We need to be the strong church that Jesus has called us to be. Let us persevere until the end for us to be able to receive the rewards that he has for us. And I want us to understand that our walk and everything that we do affects us, the body, affects the church as a whole. Not just you personally. It affects us as a body because we are one body. And the Bible says that there are many parts in that body. And if one part is missing or that part is not working right, the whole body suffers. So we need to be whole. We need to work together. We need to love together. We need to persevere together. We need to stay together. And as a body, we need to not compromise to the things of the world. Let's honor God together. Let's build one another up. We live in a fallen world where Satan has his throne. So we must constantly be on our guard. We must focus on Christ daily. We must focus in His presence. There are a million things out there that will take or will distract us from the things of God. But let's stand for holiness. Let's stand for purity. Let's not live as the world lives. Amen. Amen. A couple of challenges that I have for you. Let's make a choice not to compromise our walk with the Lord in the little things. Because those little things is what will start building up and will lead to bigger things down the road. The other challenge, let's repent. Let's repent because there's none of us that are holy. Amen? Can I see a hand of somebody that's holy? (laughs) Amen. There's none of us that are holy. We all struggle. We all have our downfalls. We all are weak in areas. And we all are in the same boat together. And so let's ask God to help us together. Let's ask God to bring a spirit of repentance in our church. Let's ask God to help us stand firm in our walk with him. Let's stand to our feet and let's pray and let's seek God together.